you're listening to Train of Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. Today's topic, the Biblical Constitution of Man. Let's get into the discussion. All right, episode number three. Episode number three, Duran, we have made it to our third episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to many more episodes of the Train of Thought podcast, but uh, today we have a Another member of the Biblical Christ Research Institute on today, his name is Eric Powers. Uh, he's another uh, member. He writes articles for the uh, Institute, and uh, he also uh, is a preacher. He preaches him along with his uh, uh, co-laborer in Christ, uh, Michael Wellen, uh, who will also be on uh at another date, uh, still trying to work on a date for him, but he will be on. And uh, one day I hope to have uh, uh, Matthew on, Matt Lawrence, and maybe one day beyond that, we'll have all of us on at the same time and just try to talk through some things too. It's just the things that we're addressing are just really important. They really need to be addressed because people don't really think about the implications of what they believe. And through this train of thought podcast, what we're trying to do is just try to help people to think about the implications of where what they believe leads to and then try to ground them biblically in what they should be believing. Um, <clears throat> and so today, uh, our subject matter is the biblical constitution of man. We're going to be talking about and dealing with the question of whether or not man is a dichotomy, which is body and then soul and spirit are used interchangeably, or if man is a trichotomy where it body, soul, and spirit are three separate things. So what what I normally do is I just give give you the floor and you can take us where you need to take us. Uh if if there's anything that I need to ask you or interrupt you uh to ask you a question or ask you to clarify something, then I'll just kind of stop you and uh okay. ask you that thing and then you can answer. And then you just keep on going until you're satisfied, man. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Hey, Deron, what's up? What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. <laughs> you're looking well. Shaq's <laughs> <laughs> there in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate having me on. Yeah, this is um, this is an important topic. I think people don't really think about but the implications extend to a lot of what you know we think about i mean train of thought how you think how you respond to god how you um basically are illuminated by the word of god has a lot to do with your understanding of this particular topic you know are you merely body and soul two parts that would be the dichotomy where they think soul and spirit is interchangeably used in the new testament or are we body, soul, and spirit is the question. And I think the word of God clearly teaches and answers this question and teaches the correct position. So mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a trichotomist because I believe, I'm convicted this is clearly what the scriptures teach. And I think the main, the main passage that I want people to open their Bibles when they hear this podcast is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I'll read that real quick. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit 
and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have in that text uh, three distinct parts of what it means, I think, specifically in the context of being a Christian. Spirit and soul and body. It's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, it is. It's it's a pretty clear passage. So so what's I understand what the problem is that people that hold the other view of the economy, they think that spirit and soul are terms used interchangeably. But if you look at the text here, uh, especially in the Greek, which I I point out in the article that I wrote on the Biblical Christ Research Institute, the Constitution of Man, you have you have three nouns. Panuma, which is spirit, mm-hmm. suke, which is soul, mm-hmm. and soma, which is body. And if you look at the Greek, they're all in the same case. They're all nominative. And they have a definite article in front of them. And then in front of the soul, you have the conjunction chi, which is translated in English and. And then in front of the body, you also have the chi conjunction in Greek, which is translated English and. And then when you have uh, the definite articles between uh, before each of the substantives or before each of the nouns, and you have chi's in between there for the second and third, it's indicating something uh, very interesting in the Greek. And uh, when you see that, the definite article before each of the three parts mentioned, for example, spirit has a definite article, Soul has the conjunction chi in the definite article, and then the word for body is kind of in the in the definite article. This is what's called uh, Granville Sharp Rule Number Six, and it claims that for nouns that all have the same cases, spirit, soul, and body are all nominative case are joined together in a sentence by the conjunction chi, and where each noun has a definite article, which is directly before each noun. The second noun is a different person, thing, or quality than the first noun. Mm. So grammatically, here, grammatically speaking, and we're interested in, in exegesis that is drawing out the author's intended meaning, and exposition is then explaining the author's intended meaning. You look at the exegesis drawing out the author's intended meaning. There's a grammatical nuance here that can't be ignored where you have the first noun, spirit, is a different part then the second now, kaihesuke, which is the soul. So it's pretty straightforward, I, I think. What do you guys think? <laughs> I, I would agree with you there. I mean, especially when you <clears throat> get into the the grammatical uh, structure of it and, you, and you're using the Granville Sharp rule. I mean, you really can't argue that point. Um, uh, so what... what um, how would you deal with those the the uh opposing side when they would take because more than likely in their arguments they're going to take you to another passage uh where soul and spirit and they're going to try to argue that soul and spirit are used interchangeably how would you uh refute that Uh, well i mean you know clearly what was taught here in first thessalonians 5 23 chris is three aspects to our being. And uh, the last one mentioned is body. That's the material part of man. Mm-hmm. Suke is the one in the middle there. It's, it's the, um, 
the emotional part of man, you know, the, the, the seed of our, of our uh, emotions, etc. And then pneuma spirit is the intellectual part of man. I'm, I'm speaking in terms of being a Christian. It's the rational part of our being. So you have three aspects to our being. And so when, when they want to take you to a different um, text to try to argue that soul and spirit are used interchangeably or as synonymous terms, there, there's a problem because clearly it's taught here in First Thessalonians 5.23, it's not the case, that, that they're not synonymous here. It's clear in the, in the text. And so I, I have to argue, you know, that there, there's no contradiction in the Word of God. There's not one text that, that says something different as far as the theological teaching that it teaches, you know, the sound doctrine from it. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't contradict himself. So it's a problem that is difficult to reconcile if if you are claiming that somewhere else in scripture teaches the opposite of what is taught here in first Thessalonians five twenty three. Okay. Okay. Um would you would you argue also from this text? Um could, could you argue from this text? Um the the section where he talks about well I'm using ESV. I know you guys probably use what NASB probably, right? Yeah, but I think um, the ESP is pretty good on, in, in this uh, in this area right here. Okay. Yeah, I, don't, I put my Schofield, uh, my NASB, I sat it down somewhere else. So, but anyway, um, it says in the ESV, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Yes. Um. So can you tie, for the audience listening, can you tie that into the importance of trichotomy yeah exactly because you know it's the complete man that the word of god addresses so it's all of who we are three aspects to our being but we have to understand that um in breaking this up we can't deny the fact that we this this is what it means to be you know in our constitution that we are you know complete so god's interested in sanctifying all of us and i think the other good text that elucidates what i'm trying to say here is uh in hebrews chapter four on that point the word of god addresses all of who the man is uh chapter four verse 12 for the word of god is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword oh that's a good one piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit so there in Hebrews chapter 4, 12, this is not exegetical. Here, this clearly teaching that the Word of God is designed to, uh, uh, you know, chop us up into pieces and deal with each part of the man, each aspect to our being. And clearly here, soul and spirit are two distinct aspects to our being that even the Word of God has the power to uh, divide and address each the soul and the spirit. Let me read that again. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that's, I think, a great verse uh, to appeal to in light of this issue, dichotomy versus trichotomy. So if it was the same, if, if soul and spirit are the same uh, or referring to the, uh, or these terms are, are interchangeable, referring to the same aspect or being. These terms are synonymous, referring to one immaterial part of us. Then why does Hebrews chapter 4, 12 teach otherwise? 
is another uh, question for the dichotomists. So, and I think I think even to to add to that, as well as what Eric is saying, I, I think. The dichotomous also has to account for the very nature of Paul's ministry, even in Thessalonica. In chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, the way Paul introduces himself and his ministry is an appeal to trichotomous man. He's not appealing to man's emotion. He's not appealing to what the, uh, what, what the Bible will only do to man's physical constitution, but he mm. deals with spiritual matters to deal with the inner man. And so even in, you know, if you read uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter chapter two, when he begins his introduction, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. He's not simply appealing to emotion because look where he goes. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Look at this. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. So he's appealing to uh, body, soul, and spirit when he when he introduces his ministry to those in Thessalonica. And he teaches doctrine in such a way so as to deal with them as the whole man, but also distinctly body, soul, and spirit. It's not just in the, yeah, sure. the one aspect of them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, um, you, you mentioned um, about when we were talking before we got on here, we, you talked about how this is also important um, dealing with continuationism and sensationism. Can you um, uh, touch on that? It's just explain how yeah. this, how the implications of whether you're trichotomous or dichotomous affect that area. Absolutely, that's a great question, and that's why I think this particular topic is so important for us to, to really grasp and understand the for, through uh, exegesis, through the author's intended meaning, what God is speaking, because you want to know who you are. You, you want to know this about yourself, and you want to understand how God actually speaks to you as a Christian. And so, like, uh, like uh, Duran pointed out, you know, this is not just simply emotionalism, which you find in the charismatic movement. Because mm -hmm. when, when someone's born again, when God, he says he's going to um, give them a, a new spirit and then put his spirit in them, the Bible teaches. So when someone's born again, they're, they're brought to spiritual life. So the soul is the center of your being, the seed of your emotions that I mentioned. The spirit in the context of the Christian has to do with that which is the mind, mm -hmm. our minds. The spirit possesses the mind. And so that's clearly taught 1 Corinthians 2.11, for who among men knows the thought of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? So to, and to understand how God speaks to us today, the doctrine of illumination, we need to read the word of God and he illuminates the correct position um, concerning sound doctrine. The word of God's sound doctrine. So through exegesis, we understand grammatical nuances, but the, we're talking about the truth, the truth that is revealed, that the Holy Spirit reveals to us as we read the word of God. So on the pages, you have the truth, and it's not hard to, 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 under, to, uh, to read and understand exactly what the author is, is saying, the author's intended meaning, but it's extremely difficult to accept the truth unless you're born again. And so that, that passage, that famous passage of 1 Corinthians, the beginning of the book, 
talks a lot about the mind and how God actually speaks to us. So that's um, that's in uh, chapter one. And uh, hold on a second, let me, let me see here. Uh, chapter uh, chapter two of First Corinthians. Uh, verse, I'm going to read an entire context here. Uh, I'm going to start, I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye can, has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritually or spiritually, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So your ability to understand truth, sound doctrine, is in the sense, I think, has a lot to do with this. Uh, because it has to do with your mind, and the Spirit possesses the mind, and the Holy Spirit gives you illumination, understanding. That's Ephesians chapter 1, to, to know uh, truth, that the eyes of your heart be enlightened, is what it says there in, um, in uh, the beginning of the book of Ephesians. And Understanding how God speaks to you, how he illuminates the word. We don't hear audible voices. We don't see, um, you know, signs today. He illuminates his word to his children, those who he's called, caused to be born again. And so that makes complete sense to me in light of what we're talking about here with trichotomy, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Your, your mind has to control your emotions and not the other way around and that's the key that that Duran was pointing out your mind your spirit has to control your body and your emotions and so charismatics have it the other way around they're all about emotionalism you know false doctrine all, all the rest is all about how it makes you feel 
mm-hmm. and about your emotions, but, but we are to understand these terms in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and not through, um, you know, modern contemporary first, second, third wave continuationists, John Pipers, et cetera, that are all about emotion. We need to be interested in drawing out the author's intended meaning, not being carried to and, to and fro in our emotionalism, but drawing out the author's intended meaning and then proclaiming the author's intended meaning. And so we need to also study. We need to understand sound doctrine, and it needs to have an impact in our lives that it changes in such a way that we're living our lives to the glory of God, obeying his imperative commandments in the New Testament. And so that's not going to be accomplished merely through emotionalism, but in the sense that we are illuminated because we understand all aspects to our being. Um, we understand what our bodies are. Uh, we understand the distinction between our spirit and soul. And, th- and this can also play in, in a sense when, when, you're, when you're angry or when you're, you're having uh, conflict with another person. You don't lash out in them in your emotions. You don't just let, let your emotions take over, but you, you, you're speaking to yourself. You know, you're, you're, you're taking control of yourself and you're like, you know, I can't do this. I can't act uh, in anger. You know, I do not want to sin against the Lord or against my fellow man. I need to take control of myself. And so we're talking about self-control. We're talking about being self-conscious in, in terms of the, the biblical parameters of what that actually means. And this is, uh, this is the mechanism. This is the, uh, the way that we're going to get to know and understand these features, understand how we're supposed to act through this particular aspect of the word of God when it talks about our constitution. So, so you would say that then that's important that and helping us to learn how to act instead of react. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're seeing the distinction between your spirit and soul and, and understanding that, you know, your, 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 your mind is, uh, you know, controlling or your spirit's controlling, you know, your emotions. Okay. Okay. And then you also, have, you also, you're also dealing with this, uh, this issue of the flesh, you know, that, um, the sinful flesh. And so, uh, before Adam sinned in Genesis three, um, he uh, his spirit had control of his body. Then after he sinned, Genesis three, and now his body, or now the flesh has control of his body, and it's been that way ever since. Men who are born, then they're sin in Adam. The flesh takes over, and um, they you know the sinful flesh, and we see that clearly identified in the New Testament. And so we're also battling that, the Christian's battling that, but the Christian is victorious over that because the Christian is killing sin in his life. He's living a life of repentance and, um, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and killing sin. And uh, the flesh is not controlling the believer. And so no, no believer can give honest testimony that they've reached a state of sinless perfection. But the distinction here is that Christians do not practice sin. Yes, we can sin and we do sin, but, but we're not practicing sin. There's ongoing life of practicing righteousness and repenting of your sin when you, when you sin and, 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 and killing it in your life, getting it out of your life. And, you know, we talk, we talk about the power of a changed life. We have we have victory in Christ over over the flesh. So 
Now, how does that how does that victory in Christ? Um, where am I trying to go with this? How does that victory in Christ help us uh, in in dealing with the 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 fleshly part of our lives? Uh, sure. I mean, you, he God gives you the the ability to um, to put to death sin in your life. So it's you know through regeneration is when it begins. God gives you a new heart. He removes the heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh. You know, you're a new creation. And, uh, and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And he gives you a new spirit so you can understand spiritual truths that we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And um, you're given the word of God. And you're given uh, instruction on, on how, how to live and how to put to death sin in your life. And so I think a great passage that that teaches that is from Colossians. Colossians. <clears throat> chapter three, putting on the new self, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, uh, chapter three, verse five, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge. Again, knowledge, uh, you know, this, it, this features of the mind and, and understanding. Renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scyth Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each, each other, whoever has a complaint against another, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We have the ability to live like this now because he dwells in us. We have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need to understand and read the text and understand how God wants us to live and examine our lives in according, according to that on our face before God and reading his word. And, and, and he gives us the ability in new life to live and, and to actually do this, whereas the unregenerate cannot, cannot um, bear with one another. The unregenerate cannot put on a heart of compassion, cannot have kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The un unregenerate cannot forgive. So... We, we gotta we, we have to, we, can't, we have to be uh, we have to not be ignorant or apathetic towards you know to what these imperative commands in the New Testament are so we need to read them and he gives us understanding and then he gives us the ability to actually practice righteousness okay. and so I, I would say the the, the answer to your question is God who's doing it in, in your life he's the one and so that's not going to be accomplished through having your your emotions just take over in the flesh like you know, right. like those right. matters you know so right uh um, now uh another yeah. another angle another angle 
um, that I've I've heard this argument. Um, I just want your opinion or your 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 insight on it, whether you think it's a, a proper argument or if it's a weak argument. Sure. And why and and why? Um, but I've heard the argument that because of God is triune, I've I've heard that argument used in support of the trichotomous position. Is that a yeah, proper argument? Or? That's a great question. I bring that up in in my article that I wrote. Um, on the Biblical Christ Research Institute. It's under the Systematic Theology. It's called The Constitution of Man. Mm -hmm. I put it put up there on October 4, 2015. But uh, I talk about that with the Granville Sharp Rule because it's, it's, a, it's a grammatical nuance here that we understand, you know, what the author's communicating. But in no way is is uh, is trichotomy, you know, the way that man, the, way, the Constitution of Man, the three aspects of our being, that's not an argument for the doctrine of the Trinity. Because you can't take that which is created to explain the creator, except in the sense that he created us. Mm. So, so we, are, we have the image of God, and he's our creator. But, you know, just like a tree that has a root, but then it's extending in, you know, three parts. Those three parts make up that tree. I can't use that to teach the doctrine of the Trinity. Right. That has features of Sabellianism and modalism, you know. Um, so... Uh, here, um, yeah, so so what I brought up earlier, First Thessalonians 5.23, I write in here that uh, each, I write in here that uh, the, exact, the exact same construction is found in Matthew 28.19 for the doctrine of the Trinity with the Granville Sharp rule, right? Mm -hmm. To show that God is one in three distinct persons. Each member of the Trinity has a definite article to show distinction of personhood. Also, the verse reveals that God is one being. So it is important to clearly articulate, though, however, that the trichotomous argument is not an argument for the doctrine of the Trinity, because it is wrong to use that which is created as a way to define the creator. For example, the soul, spirit, and body are not one God in three persons, in which three persons are distinct, yet one being um, substance, essence, nature, co-equal, co-eternal, yet three distinct persons. So, yeah, I, I definitely bring it, because that, that has been brought up by the the opposition the other side mm -hmm. and uh but I'm, I'm just pointing out the grammatical nuances that with that granville sharp rule you know when you have nouns that all have the same case and are joined together in a sentence by the conjunction chi and where each noun has a definite article which is directly before each noun the second noun is a different person thing or quality just just grammatically speaking and so that that comes into uh the discussion, you know, we're thinking about the author's intended meaning, but trichotomy is not an argument for the Trinity in that yeah. sense. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, also, um, another question that I was thinking about is in in the in the Hebraic understanding, how, how would would they have understood it the same way, like? In, in Israel, like the Hebraic understanding of the constitution of man, would it be this, this, would it be trichotomy or would it be something else? You know, that, that is a really good question. Um, you know, my, my studies, you know, I, I, I've gone over Hebrew and it was painful and Deron can attest to that. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think at one point Deron had enough, and so he just grabbed his fishing pole and went out to the pier. 
And so yes, I, mean, I, can, I can sympathize. I can sympathize with Devon. Um, I, I remember oh, when I was taking, taking Hebrew, I was, uh, well, I was working overnight and I was exhausted. I couldn't, couldn't do it, man. I, I remember the professor, like, he stopped the class because he saw me, like, I fell out of my chair or something. Wow. Uh, so it, it, was, it was a painful endeavor. But I think what, what can help us elucidate what you're saying with your, with your question is in uh, Mary's uh, Magnificent, because in the context in Luke chapter chapter one, um, she's Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And this is still kind of uh, this is after the um, this is after the intertestinal period, the 400 years of, of silence. But you still have believing Hebrews and, and Mary is the, the mother of our Lord. And so concerning his humanity. And so in Luke uh, chapter one, 46 through 55 is the magnificent. And listen to this. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. Verse 46. And then 47. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. So there you have soul and spirit mentioned from the text. And of course, the dichotomist will say that, that see, that, that's an example of Hebrew parallelism. She brings up soul first in 46 and 47. She brings up spirit. And the way that she's saying it, she's just, it's almost like she's saying the same thing over and over again, you know, with Hebrew parallelism. But if you notice uh, the, the blessing of Greek, that's what I'm pointing out here. Um, <laughs> Mary said, my, my soul exalts the Lord, exalts present tense. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Spirit there is, in English, it's past tense, but I, you know, I have to go back and look at the, um, uh, look at the tense. Maybe, Deron, you can look that up real quick. I don't know if you, if you have uh, your phone out or something yeah. for verse uh, 47, whether that's Eris or not, but it's, it's put here in English in, uh, in the um, past tense. So you have, my soul exalts the Lord's present tense. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So why would she say it like that? Why would Luke record it like that if he's saying that the same thing? Mm. Currently, soul is exalting the Lord in the past. Uh, God spoke to her, her spirit, and uh, she rejoiced in God, my Savior. I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> uh, I, I know uh, there's one particular passage that I was looking at in Job, uh, yeah. Job, Job chapter 7. Uh, uh, of course, we like to read things in context, so as you as you do so uh, it's job chapter what job chapter seven yeah sure uh and i'll just start at verse one uh he says actually use my uh nasb app so we'll be all, all on the same page um he says not man forced to labor on earth and are not his days like the days of a hired man as a slave who pants for the shade and as a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages so am i allotted months of vanity and nights of trouble are appointed me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night continues, and I am continually tossing until dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but breath. My eye will not again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no longer. Your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. 
When a cloud vanishes, it is gone. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place know him anymore. And then this is the particular verse. He says, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, again, yeah, I got to I got to study this. But mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the nuances of um, Hebrew, Hebrew parallelism, you know, it's going to take some time to look at this, but you know, you might have something. I'm mean, I have to look. I have to look at this, but that's a that's a very interesting verse there. Yeah, that's why I was asking if uh, asking for your thoughts on like what what would the Hebraic understanding of the constitution of man be? Um, but uh, yeah. we can always revisit that if we need to. It's, yeah, sure. No, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll definitely look into that. But uh, that would be. Um, Definitely part of the discussion for sure. Yeah, would would you consider that a a, a parallelism? Uh, again, I, I, it, there's a problem here. Um, if uh, because clearly this is you know this is not teaching something different, mm-hmm. or contradicting, and so you know it's something that we have to we have to look at. But uh, I, I could argue from first glance that clearly he's, he's a trichotomous mm-hmm. and I can see how the dichotomist would, would use this and try to argue, um, otherwise, but again, you have a problem with what we, we also read in the new Testament. So, um, one of my, um, I, I have to drop names here because there could, there's going to be people listening to this and that are sympathetic to probably both sides, but our, uh, our Hebrew professor, uh, William Barrett, he taught that, uh, he thought that the New Testament clearly uh, teaches trichotomy, the Old Testament dichotomy. Hmm. Interesting. And 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 I don't, and, and I, I think he he meant that in terms of uh, there's continuity and discontinuity, like uh, S. Lewis Johnson would argue between the Old Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. and and this is progressive revelation. So just like the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly there, in uh, the beginning in Genesis, you know, later on in uh, the New Testament, we get more information about it. Right. And it doesn't mean that that it's not clearly taught in Genesis. But, you know, we have we have to consider Genesis through Revelation and they're clearly not contradicting each other. Right. So I would, I, that, that's what I would bring up now uh, concerning that. So. Uh, but I'm going to argue in favor of the trichotomy when I read Job chapter seven, verse 11, not in the sense that I'm isogeting my, my view into the text, but, you know, um, I can see him being, having anguish in his spirit and complaining in the bitterness of, of, of his soul. So and I, I would understand that in the sense of what he was going through and in the sense of the fact that he was, he was definitely a trichotomist. And those that want to take exception to what I, what I just said, you know, are you a Hebrew scholar? A lot of people just like quoting other guys and, you know, he said this and he said that. I only bring up the Barak thing just to make a point. Um, you know, not that I agree, agree or disagree, but, uh, you know, we, we, should, we should really just sit, uh, sit back for a second, study the text and, um, and and not make claims about you know things like Hebrew parallelism when we don't know what we're talking about. And so, 
it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to go through. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, have you, besides the objections that you spoke of to against Triconomy, have you heard any, or have you dealt with any other objections? Uh, yes, uh, quite a bit. And so I put some of those in the article, but there's another problem with this, and it's, and it's in the area of what's called biblical counseling. Okay. You know, James, James Adams, architect of what's called nothetic counseling. Nothetic, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, hist and historically, um, they, they are, they are uh, dichotomous. Okay. And, and so I think, I think that's a problem, especially what I'm talking about, because Jay, Jay Adams is also a millennialist, and he believes that the devil is currently right now in incarceration, uh, as explained in um, that right now we're in you know, the millennium and that he's bound for a thousand years. But those thousand years is, according to them, uh, not a, a definite a number, but mm -hmm. more um, a symbolic number. Mm -hmm. And so my problem is, uh, you know, I know that we that we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil right now. He's not incarcerated in the abyss, um, you know, in, in a uh, in in the um, in the sense that uh, that a thousand years is uh, a symbolic number for the church age. Mm -hmm. uh, he's actively working and attacking Christians. And so, how are you going to counsel someone biblical counseling? When you're using a, a a system that that comes from the amillennialists in the sense that also dichotomy, in the sense of the fact that we're just uh, body and soul, when we have so much to talk about about the mind, and like I said, controlling uh, your emotions and all those features and all those imperative commands in the New Testament, how are you going to counsel someone properly if you're a dichotomist and you do not understand that how important it is for us to understand these three aspects to our being? Uh, how you're supposed to tell someone to stand firm against the enemy, uh, how to deal with their own flesh, and how to resist the world system. Okay, so one of, one of one of the one of the features, even to add to what Eric is saying, how then do you deal with individuals who are tempted? Because Satan appears in Scripture, even in Matthew four, as he tempts Christ, who is the sinless one and cannot sin. And will not sin, even though he's tempted. Um, you know, that temptation is to prove that he is victorious over sin and that he will be and that he is and always has been. But even the appeals of Satan are in that text and in other facets, they're appeals to man's uh, emotions and to what man feels. It's not an appeal to faith. It's an appeal to what man sees and then how he ought to respond uh, emotionally to what he sees. So, uh, you know, I remember... I remember Eric and I were talking, you know, a few years ago and we were just discussing just how all this relates to spiritual warfare. And so if you don't understand, you know, how uh, appeals are made to men and their thoughts by Satan in yeah. the annals of spiritual warfare, how can you help people be victorious in spiritual warfare uh, and understand that Satan is appealing to man's, uh, to man's uh, uh, emotions primarily? Yeah. And then if he can control your emotions, he can certainly control all the other aspects of you. Yeah, he he wants he wants to control us, and so through um, attacking our flesh, using the world system, temptation, etc. And so uh, he, it's a battle of the mind. He wants the mind so that he can he can get you to to sin. He wants you to um, 
to think wrongly about yourself and to think wrongly about God. And he wants your uh, emotionalism to take over so that you can, like Duran's pointed out, you can just go off the deep end. You know what I mean? So, so what Duran's bringing up too is, is, uh, is exactly what we're talking about when, when we're talking about that this is not merely an intellectual exercise, but this is how this particular doctrine is um, inseparably constrained to other doctrines. You can't separate them. This is, we, we have to, you know, it takes all uh, entire Bible to make an entire Christian in the sense of what we need to be thinking right about who we are and who God is and, and, and all these things and how they're interconnected. Right. So, um, so we're talking about the, the counseling and yeah. even, uh, the preaching. I would even go so far as to say the preaching in the contemporary modern evangelical church. Um, would you say that because of the view of dichotomy that these people try to meet what is called like felt needs. They, they focus too much on felt needs instead of actually getting to the root of the issue. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, you mean like just appealing to emotions in, yes. in the context of counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're not, you're kind of just groping in the darkness and you're not helping people unless you appeal to the word of God, appeal to the mind and be, being able to discern also where that person is, you know, are they, are they living and practicing sin? Are they living in sin? Are they unregenerate? And so a lot of times the way that they, they're able to distinguish whether that's a reality or not is through what they call homework and they give you assignments and that merely becomes just an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. Good about it you do the homework. So that's just, you know, emotionally feeling better. But what we, we, we want, we want to be victorious over uh, the world, the flesh and the devil. And we are in Christ when we are obeying the imperative commands in the New Testament. That's what I'm saying. What Duran's talking about is how this doctrine, you know, it's even touches in issues like spiritual warfare. It's all, it's all connected. And so we need to um, be students of the word and, and understand how to discern the times and understand how to discern where people are at and, uh, and ask the right questions. And, but when we're asking questions and when we're examining men and sitting down with them and walking with them, we're examining them from the perspective of the word of God. The word of God is like we read in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God does the work. And so we have to do the work what we're called to from the author's intended meaning in the sense of communicating these truths to people and pointing them to the truth and pointing them to Christ um, so that, that they can, so that we can actually legitimately help people. Okay. And so back to your question though, with, um, with arguments for dichotomy, I mean, I want to present both sides here fairly, you know, what are they actually saying? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to just take exception to, something to the other position that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. If dichotomy is correct, I want to be a dichotomist. If trichotomy right. is correct, I want to be a trichotomist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, this is not an emotional appeal and not uh, taking sides merely to be part of the, uh, to get in the ring and, and be, and be part of the fight. But I, I want to know the truth. I want to know who I am. I want to know how God has made me in the context of being a Christian. So the other side of the economy, um, so, like I said, spirit and soul are, are terms that they, they appeal to that, that are synonymous concerning um, 
you know, everything I said there that you read in, in the, uh, in the new Testament, making those distinctions, they say, whenever you see soul and spirit, they're synonymous terms. And, um, I, I think that dichotomy is heavily based on Greek philosophy. Now they're going to argue this brings up, this is in, in the context of your question, you know, the, the, the opposing arguments and, mm-hmm. and the, thing, the things they claim, they're going to say that the trichotomous is heavily influenced by ancient Greek philosophy. I think it's the other way around. I think they're projecting because um, I think if you actually read Plato's uh, allegory of the cave, I think that's more compatible with a dichotomous view. Okay. And, um, and, and it's non-holistic. Even in my trichotomy, I'm presenting these, these in, in terms of uh, a holistic understanding of who man is. Okay, these are three aspects of our being. But like, uh, first, like Paul brought up in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, God's interested, interested in sanctifying all of you because you are Chris Williams. These are three aspects of your being, but you are forever Chris Williams. He, he's addressing the entire man. And so, so even in, in pointing out these distinctions and these three aspects of being, we have to understand this in, in on holistic terms and not just uh, chopping us up and just leaving it there. But we're, you know, we're interested in, in a holistic view here. But um, Plato's allegory of the cave creates a non-holistic view of body and soul. Uh, can you, let me stop you right quick. Can you, for our listeners who may not understand that, I, I understand the allegory of the cave, um, but yeah. can you can you just like briefly summarize yeah, sure. in a nutshell what the allegory of the cave is? Yeah, and, and so I think that the, the issue here is, you know, uh, Plato presents the body as a material mm-hmm. um, in this allegory, a, a prison for the soul and the soul, the immaterial needing to be released from the body to join the esoteric spiritual realm of the non-particulars. And so all in all, what is the cave about? You have the body, the materials, a prison for the soul, and the soul wants to escape. And it wants to join the spiritual realm of the non-particulars. So he talked about particulars and non-particulars. He talked about the material and immaterial. But again, it's a, it's a non-holistic view because your soul needs to escape your body. And that's what happens when you die. Um, uh, you need to, your, your soul needs to be released from your body. And so really there's two realities there for in Plato's cave, soul and body. There's not three. Dichotomy comes from Plato's cave, not trichotomy. Uh, Dichotomy comes from an emphasis on ancient Greek philosophy, specifically Plato. So trichotomy is um, another point to um, going back to uh, charismaticism. So you're, so I, I, I see, um, Trichotomy is not compatible with charismaticism. And I believe trichotomy is not compatible with this ancient um, Greek philosophy from Plato about the dichotomy between the, the material and immaterial because I'm interested in a holistic view of man, making those distinctions of three aspects of our being. I'm interested in what the New Testament teaches, not what Plato teaches. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people argue with me, they're like, no, 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 you know, Plato's pointing out three aspects here, but no, really, if you look at it and understand it, there's really, he's interested in the body being the prison for the soul and the soul is released. Okay. And you want to go by the allegory of the cave. Um, 
what's re- I think what's really important, I'm going to drop some names here. And again, I'm not appealing, appealing to man, but this is back to the charismaticism, first, second, third wave charismatics, health, wealth, prosperity, false gospel, mm-hmm. and Pentecostalism and, and all the rest. Um, you know, the, I think one of the most influential continuationists that joins that, that, um, that the triad of uh, famous uh, celebrity continuations today, you have Wayne Grudem, you have John Piper, and you have D.A. Carson. Well, uh, Grudem, in his systematic theology, what's interesting is he's a dichotomist. He takes exception to trichotomy. So for, for the argument, again, back to your question, you know, some of the opposing uh, things, to say that trichotomy emphasizing the spirit, you know, the spirit, et cetera, is more charismatic, well, then you have, there's an example of one of the most influential continuationist theologian with systematic theology today, name, uh, namely Wayne Grudem. He's a dichotomist, and he takes exception to trichotomy. And he, and he presents his arguments in his systematic theology as such. But listen, I think one of the greatest exegetes in the 20th century, S. Lewis Johnson, and John MacArthur, who is a dichotomist, if you go to S. Lewis Johnson's page, it says there, uh, it has a quote from MacArthur saying that he's listened to the preaching of no man as much as he's listened to S. Lewis Johnson. And so all these guys had this great respect for S. Lewis Johnson in the 20th century and 1900s. I think he died in 2004. Uh, he was a prominent teacher at um, Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, he, and there's some controversy because he changed his view from unlimited atonement to limited atonement. And I think, he, I think uh, as such, uh, he had to face some consequences for that. And, um, but he still held, held on to his view of limited atonement. And I respect that because, again, for him, he was presented with this, uh, you know, with a problem when he's reading the Bible. And, um, he doesn't just want to hold unlimited atonement because he's he was that was the that was the reigning uh, view at the seminary that he taught, and it was connected uh, perhaps to his um, job security. Um, he didn't just want to hold that view just for those for those reasons, and so he was faced with limited atonement, even as a professor, and uh, he wanted to know, you know, he wanted to hold a position that's true that the Word of God teaches. So he. He uh, changed his view from unlimited atonement to limited atonement, and um, a lot of these guys respected him for that. But a lot of them think that you know he's one of the greatest uh, expository preachers, exegetes of the 20th century. He's a staunch. He was a staunch cessationist, so he took exception to charismatic theology. You know, he would take ex- exception to Wayne Grudem, and um, and and here you have a cessationist, S. Lewis Johnson who believed the word of God taught trichotomy. He's a trichotomist. And so um, if someone was to take exception to me from, from my pedigree and, you know, for where I you come from and Duran, et cetera, and, and, you know, you know, you know, MacArthur is a dichotomist, you know, and they want to take exception to me for the things that I'm saying, well, then his favorite preacher was a trichotomist. And guess what? So is Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Trichotomist. He believed the word of God taught trichotomy. And again, I'm not bringing this up to appeal to man and celebrities. I'm just pointing out, you know, you you take exception to me, you got to take exception to them. This is true. So not not just them, but a long line of people. (laughs) Oh yeah, I would use these arguments um, the way that Paul used them. Mm -hmm. I'm not appealing to men. 
but you know, I'm appealing to these features because you don't take exception to me unless you take exception to them. Right. Right. So with the last few minutes that we have here, um, just give us your closing, like your closing thoughts on uh, the the issue of trichotomy versus dichotomy, and uh, just you know, give us like a like a, some uh, like a takeaway uh, conclusion. Yeah, sure. For for our audience. Yeah, I just want to emphasize again that you know, I'm interested, and I know you you brothers are too. Um, in this podcast, we're interested in not just. Um, merely intellectual assent, but the application of these things and uh, to really actually help people. I'm interested in helping people. And I, I believe I've made very strong arguments for the position that the word of God teaches. And again, um, if dichotomy is correct, I, I want to be a dichotomist. If trichotomy is correct, I want to be a trichotomist. I'm interested in the truth. But I'm interested in the truth in the sense of I want to, I want to respect the Lord. I want to have I don't want to be an apathetic man. I want to have a zeal for the Father's glory and his mission for his church in the Lord Jesus Christ in the church age. I want to go out and proclaim the gospel. And I think that this area is connected to that as far as um, being able to do that freely and, and not uh, constrained by um, philosophies that men use in ICG in the Word of God that, that there's, no, there's no biblical warrant for. And so I also want to point out, too, that— um, when you are talking about the constitution of man, Chris, it's, it's holistic. It, sh it should be understood that man um, is a unity mm -hmm. and the whole person. So the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, Matthew 22, 37, means that we are to love the Lord with all of our being. Right. All of us, you know, all of who we are, we come before all of who he is. And the glory of God is the summation of all his attributes. And all his attributes work at maximum capacity. And so that's why, you know, when Isaiah came before me, he said, I'm undone. You know, I've seen the glory of the Lord. Um, and, and so he, he heard the proclamations of the thrice holy uh, Lord. And so I, I want to be faithful and I want to respect him and I want to honor him. And I want to please him with my life. Not uh, in the sense of guilt-motivated effort, but that that he has he has freed me and then he has saved me from the wrath of god lord jesus christ through his his the perfect life he lived is charged to my account so the father sees me as if i live jesus perfect life so i'm not this is not um in the sense of trying to uh earn god's grace and then recommend myself to god by my performance but i am i am i am i have so much gratitude for what he's done for me and that he that the Lord Jesus paid the, the penalty for my sins, that my sins were charged to his account, and he paid the penalty. The Father poured his wrath out on, on Christ. He was treated as if he lived my life, although he was innocent. And so the great exchange of the cross, and he died in my place, he physically died, and then he was bodily resurrected from the dead, a bodily resurrection. And the and Paul says that he was raised for our justification. And so it's because of that that I'm interested in, in uh, obeying him. His, his commandments are not burdensome. And that I want to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I want to love him with all of my being. And so you have these intricacies I'm, I'm bringing up, these aspects to our being. You know, the, the, the material being our body and the, the non-material, you know, the immaterial part of you. I think there's a distinction here between soul and spirit. 
And, uh, and I, I understand that the Constitution of Man is very complicated. And uh, I, I don't mean that as, as far as the, uh, the Constitution of the United States of America. So <laughs> some people get kind of confused. And I, honestly, today, there is, it would seem that a lot of people also think that that is very complicated. But um, <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it's complicated when, you know, you're living in, in willful ignorance and you're not going to the, to the, to the source. You're just relying mm -hmm. on other men saying, mm -hmm. you're going to go to the source. I, you know, I read the Bible as I, I read the Constitution. I'm interested in the author's intended meaning. I want to draw out the author's intended meaning. I don't want to be a post um, modernist and and just um, and and say that that I can read what someone else wrote, the author, and then say that you know I'm just going to isogee my intended meaning into the text. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in the author's intended meaning. And um, I, but when when you go to the Word of God, and you see concerning this particular area, and you want to know is there two parts to man, or he's talking about three parts, three aspects. Um, I think there's a clear distinction of parts. The word of God surgically divides. And I brought up that, brought that up in Hebrews 4, 12, 13, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and tensions of the heart. And listen, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so if you're not convinced by the clear testament of scripture is what it teaches, you will be convinced when you stand before him. We're mm -hmm. all going to have to stand before him. And that's why it's imperative that we understand the truth and that we can understand this, this feature, understand um, this sound doctrine. Now it's in several constraints to other doctrines, like even Duran was bringing up with spiritual warfare so that we can be most effective for him in this life because, because it's not, it's, it, it's, Eternity is right around the corner. The door is there. It's appointed men to die once and then comes judgment. It's, it's not that far away for all of us. You know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 soon and, uh, you know, kind of looking back. And uh, I just want to be effective now because, I mean, my mom died when she was 40 from leukemia. When, uh, you know, when I was, when I was really young and um, in 1991. So I was born in 82. So. I was, I faced that reality very early on, you know, time is short, you're running out of time. So it's imperative that we go to the text, understand this so we can be most effective for him because we are going to have to stand before him and give an account of our lives. And that's how I think that the, uh, the application here and a good way to close is that's why we're pursuing these things. That's why I want to help people. And that's why we want to be faithful to what the text is clearly teaching and and be able to discern these imperative commands and live them out for the Father's glory. And, mm -hmm. and to do such, you know, not, not with apathy, but with, with to be zealous. Be, right. be zealous. So that indictment <clears throat> at the end, or the, the last church there, um, the Revelation, that's, that's brought up the seven churches, uh, you know, because you, you've gone through this recently. Yes. It, it, it's, you know, it, an indictment for, just the apathy to the to the lady of sins mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and so um we need to have zeal you know this is very uh this is very important and so i think that it's gonna be accomplished through people that are serious on their face before the lord and understanding the truth concerning these things and so again just the the the, the for people listening 
you know, you, you go and study these things on your own. You heard what I have to say, and they're going to take exception. The other, the opposing side is going to take exception to me. And I wish they would take exception to me if I'm teaching what's wrong. So I challenge anyone to, to come. You can look me up. You, under, you, you know, you have the Biblical Christ Research Institute online. I'm on Facebook. Eric Powers, I'm here in Maryland. And I'm, I'm willing to debate anyone on these things and, and to sit down and because I'm interested in knowing the truth. I want to know the truth concerning this. So to those listening and uh, viewing this, um, the two main views, again, Constitution of Man, this, this, this overall, overall category is in biblical anthropology. It's called the Constitution of Man. And there's two views uh, in Christianity that the people um, – the people claim that the word of God teaches in this controversy in Christianity, I should say, because there's only one correct view, because um, if you have two people saying two different things, uh, the syllogism goes like this, you know, one could be right, one could be wrong, but they both can't both be right for saying two different things. So you got the dichotomy view that believes that man is body and soul, and soul, and the term soul and spirit, uh, suke and panuma, are used interchangeably in the New Testament, synonymous refer the same thing. And then you have the trichotomist view that understands man as three aspects or three distinct parts. The body is the material part. The suke, soul, is that emotional part, the seed of your, your inner man, your, your being. And panuma, spirit, is that spiritual, intellectual part of man, the, the, the rational thinking part of our being. And so there you have it, folks, ladies and gentlemen, dichotomy versus trichotomy. I'm arguing that scripture teaches the trichotomous view that man is made of three aspects to Christian, namely spirit and soul and body. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, brother Eric. I told you I was going to wind you up and let you go. So that's, <laughs> that's what I did, man. I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you taking time you know, yeah. from your, from your busy schedule and coming oh, yeah, on. Yeah. No, it, it was my pleasure. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you guys are doing this. Uh, we got to keep Thank the train. We got to keep the train moving. Yes, sir. Okay, you, Definitely. You guys, you guys conduct it, but you get to get some people on here to throw some, some of that coal in the fire. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, we got, we got, you know, so, but, but what we're saying, who's really driving this train? They ask, you know, you got to figure out who's driving this train. I, I say, exegesis from the yeah. word of god yeah exegesis not not emotionalism mm -hmm. um not devotionalism not not devotionalism except the fact that we, we need to be devotional but that's based, that's based on understanding and having your mind control your emotions and um you know who's driving this train exegesis amen exegesis is driving this train <laughs> drawing out the author's intended meaning so yes sir the devil's not driving this train no he is not so again thank you brother for for coming on uh we'll anytime you want to come on just let us know anything that's on your heart you want to talk about just let us know and we'd be more than happy to have you on i know duran and i have a lot of things we want to talk about i know uh brother mike has a lot of things that he wants to get off his chest and i know uh matthew i'm sure he wouldn't mind coming on and uh contributing to uh the train of thought train the putting the coals in the fire as you said so this train can keep moving um so 
for those of you out there listening, we pray that you have been blessed by this this broadcast and uh, or podcast, excuse me. And uh, we pray that you would listen to what has been said. And like the Bereans, that you would go back and search the scriptures to make sure these things are so. That you would pray about it. That you would pour over the scriptures. That you would that you would break down the text. That you would look at these things and uh, come to uh, the conclusion of where you will land. Because another thing that we're trying to do on this podcast is to help people to develop firsthand convictions instead of secondhand convictions where you repeat what your favorite preacher said or something you read in the commentary. We want you to be able to think through these things for yourself. Uh, can, can, so, I, can, can I bring up one more, one more thing before oh yeah, we, sure, we end? Sure. Um, you know, in, uh, in, in Timothy, first Timothy uh, chapter one, it says, uh, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You know, that's that's what that's what we're trying to accomplish with the Bill Christ Research Institute. I know your brothers are definitely for that. And um, I really appreciate it, man, because we want to we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, like, like we were talking about, love, love them with all our hearts, our souls and our mind. Amen. So, yeah, Amen. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, brother. So I miss, I miss I miss you I miss you both and I'm thankful for fellowship that we have you know through this uh, this ministry. Oh yeah, that, that too, brother. That's a whole. That's another reason why we're doing it, man. So we can have that that rich fellowship with one another that we can't really have because we're you know separate separate coasts and separate states. So it just makes it difficult. But maybe one day you know we'll all be together one day. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be great. We, we don't know what the Lord has in store for us, but we're just going to continue to to walk by faith, continue to uh, stand on the truth of God's word and proclaim it to not only the lost, but to to God's people as well. Um, mm-hmm. So next week, uh, we'll be discussing um, <laughs> Black liberation theology. We probably will take one or two parts. Because norm, what we'll probably do is just talk about it, um, our own thoughts about it on the first one, and then we'll get into the the biblical aspect of it on the second one. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Um, we're just we're just going along for the ride right now. Just that's, good. that's an awesome. <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> but you guys be blessed. Thank you for listening to the train of thought podcast which is uh supported by the biblical christ research institute the large church and biblical christ church y'all be blessed this has been train of thought a podcast of the biblical christ research institute for our written articles go to bcri.wordpress.com and for sermons Go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. Thanks for listening.